1: to cover between 9 and 11 this morning on this particular edition of Sunday Sermons. We'll anticipate Combine Week. I was reminded by Ben Gessling on Friday when he joined us. He'll be there. Ordinarily, I'm bored with Combine Week. i don't find it as riveting and as fascinating as others do, especially because it's often when teams make really stupid decisions because they get too aroused by something they see. Yet this week, I think there is um, validity to the interest in this town because of the hope that we get one step closer to gaining resolution On any of a number of significant subjects. One, is there a quarterback that the Vikings determine is worth pursuing and that is pursuable and gettable in the 2024 National Football League draft? And what impact will their love for said quarterback and belief that they could get him have on the Kirk Cousins negotiations? Could we get one step closer there to resolution? And then, of course, there's the J.J. contract issue looming and a belief that that might well be directly related to what you end up determining at your quarterback position. So that'll be one of the subjects explored today. We'll also talk about the, um, I have to say, I got to give him credit To a certain extent, I think Lavelle E. Neal III undersold the um, poll ad pandering that he warned us he was going to do in the Sunday Star Tribune. It was more than I possibly could have hoped for. And it's ironic coming from a guy who'd spent the last several weeks actually seeming bothered by the poll ad, the twins' direction when it came to payroll. But, dare I say, the check arrived? Or can we even count on the fact that the check arrived when you're talking about the polads? I don't know. But we will, yes, address it again. And to those who say, stop beating that drum, I have a simple answer. I'll stop beating the drum when the Twins stop beating it. I Believe me, I'm as bored with the subject as anybody. It's tiresome, it's old, it's silly. And by the way, it hasn't always applied. But it applies again now. And we will attempt to shoot several gaping holes in what our guy Lovell did put to print if you still actually get a printed copy of the newspaper. In addition, we will talk about a back-to-back split, disappointing split for your Minnesota Timberwolves. I This won't surprise anybody who, I guess, have decided that I'm part of the jinx, part of the Wolves' jinx, at least for home games. Um, they lost the game I attended. They won the game I didn't. I almost showed up last night just to try to prove the point that it has nothing to do with me. Might have more to do with the fact that they were playing an inferior opponent Saturday to Friday, but logic has nothing to do with this discussion. But we will uh, give you some impressions of what I saw in person Friday night, who I ran into Friday night, and um, what took place last night. We'll also talk Minnesota Wild. I still can't lead with them in good conscience because I have to stick to my pledge. Terrific weekend. One very good opponent, one decent opponent, and both games on the road. And what did we get? The maximum number of points. So it will be part of the discussion. But I, as far as I know, when I looked at the standings, we're still not tied for that last wild card spot. I believe we remain Two points behind, and now it's the Preds. Is that correct? The Nashville Preds. But I want to start. Oh, I'll remind you, Bradshaw and Brian KFAN text line is open. Some of you have already checked in. 646-86. That's 646-86. Love to hear from you wherever you are. Maybe you're already vacationing. I don't know if this is considered the beginning of the spring break period. I think it's a little early for that. Although it feels like, given the temperatures we are hitting, I think tomorrow we're supposed to hit—is it sixty-six degrees tomorrow? Is that am I exaggerating? I think at least sixty, and then I think the high or the low Tuesday night is supposed to be twelve. So we are going to get some extremes this week. Um Let's start, Brett Blakemore, with a bit of sound that you've captured from a story that has become the top most discussable most controversial toy department story of the last 48 hours and now I don't even think it's close
0: 1.8 to go Duke down by 4 on the inbounds it's picked and the party is done in Winston-Salem Kyle Filipowski is being helped off by members of the Duke staff and you saw the immediate bear hug surrounding him and this court storming is in full effect with Filipowski
2: hobbled.
1: Wow. That was the uh, final call. I don't know, was that an uh, ESPN call?
2: That was the TV call.
1: TV call following Duke's eighty-three seventy-nine loss at Wake Forest. Duke's Kyle Filipowski ends up getting injured as he's trying to wade his way through. A cavalcade of deranged, excited, possibly inebriated Wake Forest fans. They storm the court because that's what we do in college uh, basketball. And the more we're told not to do it, the more we're going to do it. And the court-storming lecturers are aroused. They believe it's now open season on pretty much everybody involved, but more than anybody else, security. At, in this case, Wake Forest, but many, many other schools as well. I'm not a court-storming guy, been on record for years that um, it's tired, it's overcooked, it's overdone. Frankly, to a certain extent, it is boring. There are no real unwritten rules as it pl- applies to. Well, how highly ranked does the team have to be for us to think it is worthy of, co- of storming the court? There might have been standards at one point. Well, top. Team in the country, you beat them at home, maybe. Maybe top five. But little by little, it's become, no, it's too viral. It's too much fun. It's too visual. I get my selfies. I got to get on the court. If we beat a team with a royal name, that in of itself should be enough. By the way, will you look up the current ranking for Duke, the Duke Blue Devils men's basketball team? Out of curiosity, because I haven't been paying attention to them. I know North Carolina is ranked 10th. I don't even know what Duke is at this point. Duke is 8th in the AP. So not top not number 1, not even top 5, but top 10. Royal name, we get it. Here's what bugs me. Now again, understand understand I I I'm I'm over the whole thing. Does nothing for me. It's become too easy. For this become the fashionable thing, but the issue at, at hand now that a player has gotten hurt, the the extent of the injury on Filipowski, I think they're calling it a uh, a knee sprain of some sort. It didn't look good. Him coming off the court, he got caught up. His positioning, unfortunately, he was kind of like right in the middle of the court, and the, he gets caught up in the swirl. Looks like he's trying to push people away, and then he kind of stumbles. And he ends up having to be helped off the court, I believe, by teammates. And this is what has been warned was coming. We had the Caitlin Clark incident a few weeks ago where she collided with a fan. And if you recall, um, the conspiracy theorists were out on that occasion saying that Clark actually hit the fan and then she milked it. They slowed it down, the tape, in Zapruder film-like fashion, to even suggest that Caitlin Clark milked the moment. But the next step was somebody's going to get hurt. And now somebody has big-time program, and it's how dare you? We warned you. Uh, the Purdue uh, football, uh, basketball coach had warned that this was coming as well. And they were all right that eventually something bad is going to happen maybe even something worse than this, which looks like a relatively minor injury. Um, But what I despise is the finger pointing on the, the, the security failures and what Wake Forest didn't do. And this would be so easy to fix if you would just pay attention. I'm here to tell you, this isn't going to be easy to fix. If it were easy to fix, I think it would already be fixed. Because as I've said to Guardi for years, and especially the last few months as this subject has come up, well, I'll tell you what, let's stay on schedule. I'll give you my number one comeback, what I think is the box, to people who are losing their minds over this happening. And I'm not endorsing what happened at all. But in this case, I'm actually saying nobody. And I finally heard somebody say this on another show today, a basketball reporter, say, you know, I agree it's bad. But I've not yet heard a single solution that is as simple as the people wagging their finger want to believe. And that's what we're going to get into when we come back. Uh, we'll be here till 11. Are you doing the show that never ends, 11 to one
2: thirty or 11 to 1? What's uh, it called? I, it's a little truncated, worst-case scenario, okay. 11 and
1: 12, 45. Why are you preempting? Uh, some hoops action we've got to get to. Gopher? Uh, hoops. men's hoops? Is this the Nebraska game? I thought that was later in the day. Purdue and Michigan,
2: oh, I believe. Oh, I see. So, yes. yeah, we,
1: I think we have uh, Gophers against uh, Nebraska men's side mm-hmm. later in the day as well. So let's stay on schedule. Uh, we'll get to some text on this contest. Sunday Sermons, Barrero and Blakemore, until 11 o'clock this very morning. Course storming. Back in the news, you're going to be nauseated by how much um, lecturing there's going to be on this subject, because there's a universality to the story. We have, you know, uh, Williams Arena here. We've got Target Center here. Every... Major metropolitan area and some not so major have teams that play on uh, basketball in basketball gyms, basketball arenas, and the possibility of this taking place. And what has tended to bug me about it is this notion that what a fail by Wake Forest. Now, if there's an investigation, maybe we'll find out that they're were certain things they could have put in place that they didn't. But here's what I'm going to ask you. What do you expect any school to do that could reasonably, without using force, stop hundreds to eventually thousands of close to the court, because that's what we love in college basketball, close to the court with free with quick access to the court fans decide we're going to celebrate on the court just the way everybody else does what do you have in mind people say well it never happens in the nba because for whatever reason good ones we hope to this point it's never really been put in people's heads that that is part of what you do when your team celebrates a big victory, or even when it wins a championship. Although, if you go back far enough in history, I can remember a couple of uh, scenes in Boston Garden where, indeed, um, I can remember Larry Joe Bird having to shove people out of the way to get to the tunnel. So it's not unprecedented, but it's relatively rare. So it's apples-oranges. That's a stupid analogy. There is no fans haven't been conditioned over a period of time to believe we want a big game we're storming the court we're going for it at the pro level college it's become well we can't be the one school that doesn't do this so are we prepared are the are the are the the lecturers on this subject prepared for what they're asking for because what they're asking for involves risk. That risk is we're going to do whatever we need to do physically to make sure that if we got ropes around the, the arena and some kids break through that rope, we're taking them down. Do you remember the scene at, uh, in the Wolves playoff game? where security guy was one of the great viral security moments in history. It was um, glue glue gal was going to glue herself to the court, right, or get onto the court. I can't remember what the, it was a, was a, 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 a poultry, an animal cause, as I recall it, right? And they were seated like, well, security guy was like right behind Glenn Taylor and his wife. And he, I mean, he was unbelievable. And what did he do with glue gal? He took her down. He didn't hurt her, but he took her down. So here's what we have to be honest about. If we're really going to be serious, if the people who are demanding action are going to be honest about it and fair about it, there's going to be some visuals that aren't going to look very good. Because as people get used to before people really understand that we're serious about trying to stop this, there's going to have to be Some security folks who get physical with those who kind of try to break through. And if those scenes look a little bit, ooh, that didn't look good. Was that excessive? Are we prepared for that? Or are the same people who are on their high horse about this issue now going to go, how dare that security person do exactly what they did there? That's a bad look. That's over the line. That's all I'm suggesting here is we're not being honest about why what I think is the real reason that schools are reluctant to really get involved in the kind of security that would be necessary to really strongly discourage the kind of stuff that we saw that ended worst case scenario um, in the Duke Wake Forest game. By the way, somebody texted me that Wake Forest was actually. Favored in that game. We, can you f- see if that's true against Duke? In any case, that's the part of this story that bugs me. I've heard a million so- solutions. We got to do this. We got to do that. We got to we got to up the. We got to quadruple the fines. Um, <laughs> I haven't heard a single solution that will work as effectively as I guess you're gonna you're gonna w- w- schools. You're now expecting that they're going to have to pay the freight for the number of security people that it's going to take to get this done. And, as I said, there's going to be some, some ugly scenes that take place. Whose side are we going to be on then? Is going to be, well, yeah, it got a little bit more physical than we thought, but let, let me give you another scenario. Student guy gets brought to the ground by security person gets back up and punches security guy or pushes back on security guy. All this stuff is part of what people don't want to talk about and is I, I'm firmly convinced is why there is this hesitancy on the part because the theory is a lot of schools well they just love the visuals you know then they can make a poster out of it online. It's a wonderful thing. We've had school presidents after like SEC football games who've been on the, on the field, they got, they're got they smoking victory stogies, they love the shot, it's, it, the visuals are wonderful, and that's part of the issue. Schools have to decide which side they're really going to be on in this thing, and if you have school presidents participating, you're not exactly sending a discerning uh, message or a discouraging message when it comes to, yeah, we don't love it, we'll pay the fine, and it's not great, and we hope nobody gets hurt, but it's just too much fun, we're going to participate in it. Yeah, that's part of the story, but I really think that's the issue here. So, again, be prepared for a whole week of here's the solution, here's what you have to do, here's why every warning now has been validated, how dare schools allow this to happen. None of those folks will have, trust me, an easy answer. They'll pretend it's easy because it's their answer, but it won't be easy. Because this is not easy, it is more complicated, it has been built over a period, it's, it's been marinating for years to the point where it's all about conditioning. Like I said, fans are not conditioned to storm court, pro courts, pro fields. Has anybody ever stormed a rink? Have we ever had I in think the history we've had like, this, Have we had a couple?
2: I think we've had this conversation. I think only like once and twice in history and again, ever. part of
1: that is it's harder. You got... Here's, what, here's another one of the ideas that was thrown out. It's just it, asinine. Maybe if we could put somehow come out with plexiglass along the edges of the court. Really? You really think that's practical and that's going to work? Somebody said, I suppose snipers would be excessive. Yeah, probably it'd be a, probably be a bridge too far. There the, is. Go ahead. You're I, I can confirm
2: that Wake Forest were favored by two <laughs> and a half points. They were
1: favored by Just, two and a half, yeah. won the game. And storm the court. And the excuse will be about well, still, it's Duke. And, um, you know, that answers it. We got a lot of texts coming in. We're going to get to some of those. I do want to talk, as I said, we got a number of other subjects to cover, but plenty of time to do it. Branch on Brian Cafe and text line is 646. On the fan. Ongoing uh, between the ball guys and the rest of us. In this case, uh, by ball guy, I mean Lavelle E. Neal the third. Before we get to that, or back to that story, which I thought we'd covered uh, extensively enough on Friday, but clearly have not. Let's get to some texts via the Bradshaw Brian Cafe and text line on um, the court storming scandals that played out at Wake Forest, where the Demon Deacons were favored to beat beat them, and their uh, fans, largely their student section, stormed the court, got a player hurt, Kyle uh, Filipowski. Dan, a factor in security, this is from uh, Jason in Northbrook, Illinois, formerly St. Louis Park slash Edina. A factor in security is the fact that the majority of these schools hire these grandfatherly and grandmotherly types of security Needless to say, these folks aren't deterring people from storming the court. Um, it's a broad generalization that might well be true in, in some cases. I, I'm still not sure it would matter because I think if we're going to really have this conversation, there's going to be have, have to have some, uh, a serious understanding of what is involved in this undertaking and what might take place if you are really going to try to end this. Provide students with proxy badges, tied their student ID slash account. If the cards read they entered the court, they're immediately levied a fine to their account. Uh, Come on, man. And then, how do we know they're going to pay the fine? Uh, That's not going to work. Storming the court, the basketball term cagers is in reference to the basketball court being surrounded by a fence to prevent fan interference. This worked in the old days. Maybe we need that again. Ha ha. Yeah. Uh, basketball players used to be called cagers. Did you know that? Cagers. Also, long, go back a long time ago. Can we
2: talk about how the, the badges won? What if they just take off the badge?
1: Yeah. It just, it's just, like that's where, that's what you are saying. Where, the, you're going to hear a bunch of stupid ideas like, now, no offense, no offense. It's just, that's not going to, it's, you got to think about this. That's just not going to work. Um, My thoughts on this topic, assign a percent value to the seats and a disclosure stating if there's a storming of the court, the seat will be fined this percentage. Then only the seats on the winner's side will be fined. The percentage will be a value of the school fine. I don't even know what that means. But I, again, don't think it's it's particularly going to work. 507 guy writes, love the show, Dan, but the court storming conversation is somewhat of the handshake line. The amount of times it's an issue isn't worth making sweeping changes. Tell your players to try and protect themselves. Well, there's some validity to what he says because most. what's the percentage of time something bad happens in a court storm? Got to be extremely low. And yet, because we're so visual and because now when it happens, Pitchfork Nation will indeed lose its mind to the degree that it has this time more than ever before, then you're going to have to have really strong fiber to say that. And no one's going to... If you say that out loud... What are they going to say, for example, at Duke? Oh, you don't mind it when it's not your player, but if it was your player who got hurt, you'll feel differently about it. That's the problem here. But we're back to rhetoric and not having strong enough leadership to say, yeah, this is a problem, but it's not worth reinventing the the wheel on. We're going to take the steps we can, but as long as this is a part of what we are, you know, to a certain extent, willing to accept, to pretend that we're always going to be able to successfully protect every player is not all that realistic. Now, that might be the most honest proclamation, but I don't know that we have leaders capable of saying it because they're going to get pounded by the court-storming terrorists who have absolutely reached, on a 0 to 10, they've reached 12 uh, today. In part because they're saying, you know what they're all playing back in the media now, the Jackals? Well, you heard what uh, the Purdue head coach said. He said this was coming. You heard what uh, Jay Billis warned that I think might have been after Caitlin Clark. And then when we see, well, they were right, see? Then it it feels even more ominous. And eventually there is the concern that something more serious is going to happen and somebody's going to, you know, suffer a significant injury that maybe ends a season, something to that effect. Um. Let's see. I'm a total fraud on the court-storming issue. 47 years old. Me thinks it's dumb, immature, and silly, knowing darn well 21-year-old me would be participating. Yeah, I think there's probably that disconnect for a lot of people. I feel like it's crazy we discussed this. Why is authority always in the lose-lose situation? Police, security guards, etc. Cannot win. The same people who hate the authority want them to control this stuff. I don't know what the solution is. That's Tartan Titan guy. He's exactly right. That's why I said the same people who I'm listening to the last 24 hours lose their minds over this would be the first ones getting on their soapbox and say, that looked excessive to me. Did that security guy actually had to, you know, bring that person down as hard as they did? You know, the court's hard. There is no consistency. Because, again, we will be prisoners of the visual moment. The viral visual moment. And there's probably going to be times where, yeah, I'd say, well, that was excessive. And the use of uh, uh, security trying to bring somebody to the ground. But that's the silly uh, position that we're in here. Doesn't cost a thing to forfeit the game. That's the only suggestion I've heard that I think might actually get something done. I don't know if it's fair. I haven't decided in my mind whether it's fair. But if you reach a point where you say, here's our warning, you lay it out at the start of the game. And you reinforce it. If you fans storm the court after this game, there is a chance that our school will be required by authorities to forfeit it. Now, how you determine what the line is on a forfeit, I don't know. Under the classification of are you with us or you're against us, you're going to end up costing us a ballgame. But again, the uproar from some of the same people who are going crazy now would once again be off the charts, especially if it was a game that had any significance. I'll keep an eye on the text. If anything else interesting comes in, I'll let you know. This is not complicated on... The reaction from Twins fans regarding the Joe Polad comments, I don't believe. I don't think it's surprising. I don't think Twins fans need to apologize for being bothered by those comments. And (laughs) Lavelle, God bless him, tried hard to put up a good fight. Maybe for the clicks, I don't know. Aim your angst elsewhere, Twins fans. Payroll pouting has played out. Let me give you an example of where he he plays fast and loose here. He notes that um, this is as close as he comes to acknowledging that he's doing a 180 on his own position that he'd espoused the last couple of months. Twins were well on their way to a division title At the time, we're talking about um, fan discontent late in the 2023 season when Lovell says he spoke with a Twins official at the time who told me the team hit the upper limits of payroll once Carlos Correa re-signed earlier in the year. This was an uh uh-oh moment. Twins were well on their way to a division title at the time with a club record $156 million payroll. If anything, I felt the success of 2023 would encourage them to add, not subtract. He's, he's conveniently forgotten about that position he took now for whatever reason, especially after winning a postseason series for the first time since 2002. I wrote after the season that they should maintain their momentum they built and add to the roster. But now he says, Oh, well, it's easy to spend other people's money. It always is. But the logic of his position then still holds. It's still logical. Some For some reason, he's decided to do the 180 on it. The Twins, following the end of the season, the Twins let it be known that there was going to be some belt tightening. The Twins weren't the only team doing this. Roughly half of the teams in baseball have not added to their 2023 payroll. Now, what he conveniently leaves out of there is the Twins haven't just not added to their payroll of 2023. They have subtracted their payroll. And depending on who you want to believe, It's either at $114 million right now or $121. If it's $114, that's $40 million less. If it's $121, I can do that math. It's still $33 million less. Now, the season doesn't start tomorrow. There's still a chance you could add some payroll, and maybe they indeed will. But again, I love Laval, but the issue here isn't just sticking to the same amount. He's, he's, he's making this an apples and oranges discussion. You, you, you can't talk about half the teams not adding. The Twins didn't just not add. They've subtracted significantly. And where have they subtracted? Starting pitching. And if you are, you do not have to be a hysterical, delusional, over-the-top, out-of-control Bowl ads are always cheap kind of guy to say, hmm, what did I enjoy? What what was the biggest breakthrough on this team between 2022 and 2023? Starting pitching at the top of the rotation. As uh, my guy Patrick Royce points out today, Reminding us, we've talked about this early and often. When the Twins won 78 games in 2022, they were among the, well, 2022 were in the bottom three in total innings from starters. And a lot of times Rocco took the heat for that, like, well, Rocco just doesn't give him a chance. To, to stay in games longer. I uh, occasionally agreed with that, but also I think a lot of it was he just didn't trust the people he's thrown out there. Enough. Guess what happened in 2023? The Twins were fourth in innings from starters in all of Major League Baseball. They went from 782 innings to 895 innings from their starters. So who did that? Well, it was a shrewd trade involving trading away your, you know, one of your most popular everyday players, the hitting sensation, at eyes, and acquiring in return Pablo Lopez, who was excellent last year. We endorsed the trade when it took place, despite getting a lot of heat internally and externally. And I don't think there's any Twins fan who could say today that that wasn't a damn good trade. Lopez has, if he's not already an ace, he's very close. And he's still young enough, and now under contract long enough, where that's a big hit. But who's the other guy? Well, the other guy was Sonny Gray. 32 starts, 184 innings. Which was a huge increase over the year before. Now, were the twins going to get Sonny Gray back? A lot of people say it wouldn't have mattered what we would have offered him. In the end, he got, I thought, a very reasonable three year, by baseball standards, three years, not, you know, six, seven, eight years, three years, $75 million. Would I have done it? The answer is yes, I would have. Now I am, I'm, as to use Lovell's term, I'm spending other people's money. And is there any guarantee he's going to be as good next year or this year as he was last year? No. That's the crapshoot, that's sort of the game you have to play. But you can't live your life in the shallow end. You can't. So, my point is that if one of those two individuals who changed everything last year, by even the ball guy standards, is gone, should it be surprising that Twins fans might get a little bit nervous and a little bit agitated? No! So it's not just about... The money, per se, it's about what, in this case, the money represented and who it represented. And the idea of, okay, is there a sunny gray light that we might be able to acquire or sign that, in addition to us feeling pretty good about some other guys taking the next step, will give us, hedge our bets a little bit and give us another option. Is that unreasonable? Is that hysterical? For twins fans? No, it's not. And the the, the the straw man argument that has been made lately is the Twins fans are losing their minds because Polad said with with the um the you know, the fairly big name free agents that are still left, we're out of it. We're we're not gonna be we're not gonna play we're not gonna be in that sort of rarefied air that the twins are unlikely to sign one of the top remaining free agents. Those guys were going to cost anywhere as Lavo rights from 15 million to 25 million dollars a year. That's not what the angst was. The angst was more generally a philosophical discussion of what his comments, Joe Pollard's comments represented, not just for this year, but potentially for next year and the year after that. And of course, what's Often conveniently let out, left off, and I don't think Lobel mentioned it in this column, is the comparison that 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 Joe Pollad um drew to the Tampa Bay Tampa Bay rays. As in, well, look what they do with uh you know no payroll. A terrible message to send to your team, your fans, no matter what your intention is. So Let me triple down on the belief that you do not have to be a mindless, hysterical, court-storming idiot to be bothered by this trend and what it might mean in reducing the margin for error for your favorite baseball team. That was starting to feel more like your favorite baseball team again. Because... In the end, it's up to the players. They'll determine how this upcoming season is viewed, and maybe enough pitchers will ascend from within that this will become immaterial and would be will become moot. But to use Lovell's own logic, you have a chance to build on momentum that you have created for the first time in I think a fairly meaningful way. Off of the second basically the second half of last season, and um the relative playoff success, you at least won a series, right, and you've chosen not to do that. you've chosen to make this the time where we gotta make up for lost time. We're really you know um what's the word I'm looking for here? There's a word for the an organization that takes care of its own people. It'll come to me in a minute um you know we. Protected uh, uh, our non-players during COVID and continued to pay them. And somewhere along the line, somebody's going to have to pay that bill. <laughs> well, and it, it turns out in this case, it's it's the product, apparently. And we're going to cross our fingers and hope that we've got enough things going internally. The irony here, again, is the front office should be congratulated for the way they finished last season, for the position that they were in. This isn't a really a front office rant. As much as again as it's a it's a it's a directive that clearly was sent from on high and said, Here's what they're going to do, and they're gonna put the you're gonna do, and here's they're gonna put the best face on it because they have they have no choice. And they may even try to convince themselves, ah, we can paper over it. But we're also at this point where well, we're gonna be the favorites to win the division. And you say, Okay, 87 victories won the division last year, I think. I think it won 87 games. Nice record. Meaningless in in the East. But what's going to also give us the best chance to go someplace? To do something once we hit the postseason. To take the next step. Maybe win another series or a series after that. So, no, you don't have to apologize if you're concerned and have expressed it publicly. That, oh... They were at 155 million then, and they're 114 million now. Well, that's a lot. Or even if the other number is accurate, at 121 million. That's perfectly understandable. On this show, you'll never have to um, apologize for being concerned about all of that. And as I said, when the formula is right in front of you about what what changed last year, then. I don't even know why the ball guy should be surprised. And I, I'm absolutely, I'm going to have to get back to it with I think Laval on Friday. I, I'm I'm fascinated to find out why he did the 180. Because as I said, this is a 180 from his own position that he had been taking. And somebody got to him. Like I said, I don't know who. Um uh, Ball guys, for whatever reason, don't seem to like... They they don't seem to want to disappoint this organization. I don't know if it's they like being patted on the head. Good job, you know. uh, Thank God somebody stood up to mock these stupid, idiotic, irrational fans. Is it that important to you? Because understand, they too have... They're not coming at it from any objective place. They're coming at it from... God, this well, maybe this will help our uh, the PR hit we seem to be taking. And again, ultimately, PR will, will be secondary to how the team performs. If the team picks up right where it's left off, this will be forgotten. It and at that point it w- it will be acknowledged on a show like this. Hey, they figured it out. Good for them. They were right. I will still maintain. They didn't know it would go this well. They couldn't know because of the unproven nature of the people they're asking to do what the Sonny Grays of the world were doing a year ago. And I don't want to turn Sonny Gray into Bob Gibson. But it's a curious reversal. And (laughs) Laval points out that he thinks the Twins should leak what the TV deal that they ultimately had to settle on is. He's apparently assuming that it's so paltry a number compared to what the twins expected they were going to get that this will um, bolster their case for what they've done. I've suggested that if indeed the number was that low, they already would have. We already would have heard about it. But I'm wondering if the real reason we haven't heard it leaked to this point, because they're very good at leaking over there, is that it's a pretty healthy number that will not actually bolster their case. Hopefully we get at some point to the bottom of that as uh, as well. So, again, I'll say to the people who I heard from Friday and I'm hearing from a little bit today, why are you pounding away at this? Well, because I picked up the Sunday newspaper and a writer is pounding away, Lavo is pounding away at it from the other end as he told us, he warned us he was going to do. I'd drop it. As soon as um, it will be, it, it could be dropped. But it, the, the idea that, like I said, Twins fans are all stupid when they always say that the Twins are being cheap. Well, I try to take it on a case-by-case basis. And I don't care if you want to, whether you want to use the word cheap or another word, it, I, it doesn't matter what the word is you use. They've made a decision. They have made a change that is significant enough that people should not at all be surprised that folks are going to notice they can do it. It's their team, but it's almost like we're going to do this and we don't want you to make a big deal of it because we just don't want you to make it be, you don't have it both ways. You can do it, but people have a right to respond to it and say, well, this doesn't really add up or this seems curious that this would be the time that you would, you would do it. And again, close circuit to Laval, Teams not adding their payroll is very different than what the Twins have done, which is slash their payroll. Our number two will include Wild Wolf. I'm the fan.
2: You have metal forces of nature, and you will atone. Sunday Sermons brought to you by JTR Roofing.
1: Two of the Sunday sermons broadcast. Barrero and Blakemore with you till eleven o'clock this morning. Um, we got a lot of other stuff to get to this hour. I do want to get to a tweet regarding the uh, court storming discussion that I found intriguing. Um, he writes, "I haven't seen the fools of Pruder on the storming, but didn't it look like Filipowski tried to pancake a kid who was trying to run." Past him. Philipowski uh, is Kyle Filipowski. He's the Duke player who was injured after he got caught in the, uh, the mob madness. Wake Forest fans storming the court after the favored Demon Deacons <laughs> knocked off Duke 8379. Um, I will say that if you break that film down and it's being broken down, it does look a little odd about what he seemed to be trying to do. Do you agree with that, Brett Blakemore?
2: To me, it looked like he didn't really make an effort to to get out of the way. It looked like
1: I'm almost going to try to find a way to create contact. Now, I don't even know if that's fair to him. The reality is that's why you try to create zones of, cones of safety around these guys. And you've seen it happen some games where they've gotten smart enough towards the end to literally, like a cordon of actual, like, either, I don't know if it's student managers or assistant coaches, have tried to create a barrier between the fans and the visiting team. But I guess the moral of that story is maybe he's frustrated that they lost. He's he's pissed off to see all these people come on the court. And so he's not in the mood to do what he should do, which is to dodge everything. That's part of, again, why you say, I do believe in this cliche. I really do. I think this is what we have to get to, condition people to consider. The court is not the place for fans. The stands are not the place for players or coaches. We have seen historically, especially in the latter, what bad things can happen when players make their way into the first couple of rows of seats to confront people or whatever. Or Malice in the Palace is the worst example uh, then that goes back now decades. But um yeah, I, I I do see, I actually do see a little bit of of what uh the suggestion is there as well. Um I'm not gonna turn this into blaming him, but I'm gonna say uh if you look at the tape, it, it's his his movements are a little bit um on the odd side. And I will here's here's I can't get in his head. But here's my guess. My guess is players have now been conditioned to be bothered by this, by all the warnings, by what coaches have said. And that there's a little bit of them who, to a certain extent, almost, well, if I'm going to be caught in this, I almost want to accentuate the absurdity of this. So, I'm going to maybe not work extra hard to get out of the way of a collision. I might even not mind a collision. Not ever, of course, assuming that he was going to end up getting hurt. He didn't want to get hurt. If indeed that was the moment where whatever injury took place to his knee uh, took place as well. We have more sound that um, Brett Blakemore came up with for the start of the show. Let's hit it right now.
0: Jab wide by Hartman, and that's going to do it. The Minnesota Wild. Win three games out of four this week. And a huge test for Minnesota as they look to get back closer to that playoff picture. And, boy, are they making a push. 7-1-1 one one in the last nine. 10-3-1 in their last 14. As they come into Seattle and end the Kraken's four-game point streak with a 5-2 win here from Climate Pledge Arena.
1: There's the final call. We finish the weekend with a maximum number of points. Now, in Blakemore's world, it would be six, right? But instead, it's four, which we'll, well take. yes. We'll take the four. We'll take the four, because they were both regulation victories, correct? Yes. And that concluded with the 5-2 um, to two victory last night over the Kraken, who well, I think scored first. Didn't they, they score did. first? The yeah, game? they
2: scored within like a couple of minutes, and it felt like, uh-oh, here we go. Here comes the train. Uh, by the way, do we have an update
1: on Erickson Eck? who got hurt, um, I think he left with an injury against the boards. Is there any update on his condition? I don't think it's supposed to be serious. That would be the one downside to what took place. And as you're looking for that... Well, Hines did say post-game that he should be he fine. He should be fine. Okay. Yes. And this followed up, probably a more impressive given the uh, who you're playing, a victory the night before. Over the um, Edmonton Oilers, and uh, what was the final? There was it four to two.
2: We uh, beat Edmonton
1: yes. four to two. Was gut Now I was at the Wolves game Friday night. Was Gus Bus as good as has been written and reviewed? Was that to use the words of one of his teammates? I think it was Middleton. Looked like the old Gus.
2: I would agree with that. He he made forty some saves. I think twenty three saves in the third. It was an all out onslaught from the the high powered Oilers in the third. They just couldn't get by Gus. So it it positive signs from the goaltending, especially with the way Flurry's been playing for the most part. And now that Gus win in Edmonton, Um think it's starting to turn around. And even Johansson got a goal last night. So how about that?
1: Boldy seven goals in his last eight, and uh, according to Joe Smith. That's 22 goals, 39 points in 39 games under John Hines. Kaprizov, eight-game assist streak, which is the longest in the uh, National Hockey League. His eight-game point streak is the second longest in the NHL. Zuccarello, eight assists the last four games. Uh, Eriksson Eck extends his point streak to a career-long eight games. And uh, I want to read you a, a comment from Joe, see if you agree. It almost seems like the Wild's best players are trying to will the team into the playoffs. The red-hot top line of Kaprizov, Eriksson, Ek, Boldy continues to dominate, and the rest of the group is feeding off of them. Is that what is generating this particular surge? Do you it, agree? He's absolutely correct. It's it's
2: in my opinion, it's been probably ninety-five percent of the top line doing most. I mean that. Uh, the game against Vancouver, where they scored ten goals, I think every one of them but one involved the top line. Um, I think it was the Rossi goal. Every other every other goal involved the top line or the top power play unit. Uh, with Zuccarello scoring the same thing last night, Kaprizov getting two goals, um, Zuccarello four assists. It's all the the top guys, yeah. and I think you're you're not getting. My concerns is that you're not getting a lot of production from. Your Freddie Goudreau's, your your Doers, your Do Hames, mm-hmm. um, but right now the first line is carrying them so much they don't even need it. But they will when they get into the playoffs. But will they get into the playoffs? I guess it's looking more likely, but I don't know if it is likely. If that makes sense,
1: big knockers got a knock as we say. So that's good that you're you want your big knockers to lead you. But at some point, to expect them to continue to stay as hot as they are now is. Questionable, and that gets back to getting some stuff from other places. But maybe that comes when they most need it. I don't know. So you have been, I think, for a while in the group that says, um, "I'm just not buying." I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't, I know this isn't a bad team, but I just don't see it. So, are they close enough? Have they surged long enough for you to revisit that, reconsider that? Or are you still also uh, remaining as stubborn as I am that? Um I I I can't I can't get myself I I can be encouraged but I can't get myself yet that excited. Well to
2: define to get excited to make the playoffs? Yeah, sure. I'm I'm excited about making the playoffs. That's I think it's entirely possible the way this team's playing that they could make the playoffs. When they get there, I think they're going to get trounced. I don't think it's it's been happen it's happened 5 years now where whether it's Kaprizov or Fiala or yeah. whoever, um, they get shut down. That top scoring line gets shut down by a much better team, and there's not the depth scoring enough to cover for it. Mm-hmm. And they and they can't create goals by themselves in the playoffs. And like, I it's a tight checking game, and we want to. We've been going into the playoffs now for as long as this organization's been around. With we
1: got to be grittier and stronger yeah. and yeah.
2: tougher, and they can't score. We they got.
1: Well, but is be it possible Jake Allen? Is it possible now we can be carried for a series by this red hot top line if they are able to play at that same level which they really haven't. Our to, is our top line and it's been made, made up of different people obviously. Has our top line ever played as well as it it probably needed to? See part of the problem is I've said for years. Part of why I think it's hard to judge our our best even our best players is we end up getting a limit. We're almost always eliminated in the first round, and because if you take even great players from other teams and you limit them to what they did in one round, sometimes they do well. it's the ebb and flow of a series or a given game. But because they play multiple series, you're able to get a real better read on. Okay, when well, this series, these guys did have they had they had time to show how good they could really be. We're not around long enough, I think, to ever figure that out.
2: Yeah, and a lot of time, like for instance, with the Stars series last year. They they knew how the Wild were going to play. Uh their coach came out and said it. Yes. He said they they're going to play dirty and we're going to kill them on the yeah. power play. Yeah. And they did it yeah, every true. single game. So it's it's predictable and they the thing with the Stars too is that if one guy's not going, if they if we take out the the top line and take them out of the game, they've got two more scoring lines that are just as good. And we just don't have that right now. So yeah. I don't think it's it's ever this top line is is playing as well as it possibly could. I just think you need more than one line in the playoffs.
1: All right, let's uh, get some. Uh, let, let's hear from the hockey community via the text line. The hardcores, who maybe had sort of switched off, are you interested again? Are you buying this? Are you still skeptical to the extent that Blakemore is? That not necessarily skeptical about their ability to to to, to steal a playoff series here, but, but where it, it's going to lead realistically. Bradshaw, and Brian, Caffey, and text line six four six eight six. I've got some wolves. I've got a new nagging wolves worry i i, I was as positive as, as i've been in a long time with the way they went into the break uh all-star weekend we're the little engine not the little engine we're the big engine that could we're getting all kinds of national attention and um and then we start the second half uh, even friday i was in a great mood sam mitchell was basically saying why not us why not now and then I went to the game against the Bucks, and, and now I've got a, a nagging concern that actually Johnny Athletic wrote about most recently. Uh, and we'll get to a couple of other uh, topics as well, and back to, as I said, the, uh, the text line. Sermons is back. A text line is uh, hot and heavy right now. 64686, Bratchel and Bryant. KFAN text line. Want to hear from uh, the hockey community. but Let's get to a couple of other texts too. Um, This is 952guy. I didn't realize today's show would be Duke Wake Forest fan line unreal. Now is 952guy just trying to get me going understand what he's asking or what he's his observation. Have we in any meaningful way broken down how Wake Forest beat Duke? I'm not even sure we've given the score, let alone broken down how it happened and the significance of it. This is a universal story, 952Guy, that has nothing to do with who was playing. Nothing. It could have been any two major college teams playing. Any market can relate because, as we said, any major market has basketball arenas. Most, Many major markets have universities in their town or near their town. So the subject that we're exploring here has nothing to do with the fan line. It has to do with the larger ramifications of this story. And quite frankly, as I said, we're, we're actually trying to distinguish ourselves from others who are making it seem as if the solution is easy and that the security people at Wake Forest need to be called on the carpet, held responsible immediately when we think the issues are a lot more complicated than people are willing to accept. So it's got nothing to do with any kind of a fan line kind of a thing. I, I didn't, we got smart listeners. I, I just, I'm surprised that this would have, this is such a Rubik's Cube of a mystery. As to why there might be the, uh, the focus on this story. When a player from a major college team gets hurt, whether it's Duke or whoever, in part because of a court storming, when this has become a large su- subject, it shouldn't be surprising that it might be fodder <laughs> the day after, the morning, after it happens. Jim and St. Paul from the hockey community. If we make it, with our goalies, we have a 10% chance of going on a run, 90% chance we don't win more than one round. But why not try for the 10% hot goalie run? We have one more year of salary cap hell. It's lining up that the 2025-26 season, the couple after that, unless something really bad happens, that 10% chance will be more like 90%. That's the reality. Let's lean into it. That's Jim in St. Paul. Six one two guy. Um they're still getting bounced in the first round if they make the playoffs. Not enough talent. One good line out of four won't do it. Zero chance of getting past the Stars, Canucks, Knights, Avs, Jets. Zero percent chance? Do you agree with that? Or is that a little too negative? Can't mm, be zero. Pretty low. What about a hot goaltender?
2: I understand the hot goal again. For a series. We've we've been doing this get in and get my my response to to Jim and St. Paul is mm-hmm. if we're already in Cap Hell, we've got a built in excuse right there. I mean, I just don't think I just don't think we have the depth to do it. I've seen the same story for, for years. I just don't if they make it in, great. Yeah. But the worst case scenario is, besides the show that's coming up next, is um is trying to make the playoffs, barely missing, and now you don't get either. You don't get into the lottery, nor do you get into the playoffs yeah, yeah. and you're stuck in that the middle. That would be worst
1: case. Yes. In that sense, you're right. Frog guy. Issue with the wild now is every Minnesota sports team is they've never let the bottom completely fall out. They're always just competitive enough to either get a late-middle first-round pick or get trounced in the playoffs. They can never truly get that top elite talent in the draft and build around it. I think that's what's going to happen again this year at the Wild. And until the bottom completely falls out, we're going to get. We're not going to get a Bedard. Um, we're not going to get a McDavid. We're just going to be the best of the lousiest of the lousiest of the best. That's Frog Guy. Um, yeah, we've certainly had that conversation here. It would be even the, – the Wild are, are probably – too good to even tank responsibly, let alone irresponsibly, if they wanted to, because of some of that talent. And you could say to a certain extent, the Vikings are in a similar boat. Uh, we've had up and down seasons this last year, not so good, but not bad enough where we're in a position of power on draft day. With the way, obviously, a, a few other teams that were at the top of the draft um, might be. That is absolutely part of the issue. Um It isn't just the Wilds, the Twins, Wolves, Vikings, and Loons who can't get past the first round of the playoffs in their sport. Well, we've had that conversation. Yeah, we're in a, a very difficult uh, historical period that, that seems to have gone on forever um, where we can't even get on runs. Forget winning the whole thing in any of these sports, just even getting on uh, on runs as well. Um, All right. what's my nagging concern about the Wolves, despite a great finish into the break, and uh, they are, after winning last night, um, without Rudy, by the way, who sat, they are uh, still, I think they're back in first place in the uh, Western Conference standings. A headline, I think, says it. This is from the latest Johnny Athletic piece, I'm sure we'll talk to him about it tomorrow. Jaden McDaniels holds the keys to the Timberwolves offense. It might be true, and it probably is true, but that's what scares me. If, it is, it's, if, it's the, if it's accurate, it scares me a lot. Because it's putting an awful lot of responsibility on basically the fifth option at a very young age. And the game I saw Friday night against the Bucks was a prime example. He was awful. He was irrelevant. He was partly in foul trouble. And by the way, when I say irrelevant, he's always relevant defensively. He's a very good defensive player. And that's part of the reason I think the Wolves were committed to him and wanted to lock him up. But I think it was always based, too, on the projection that his offense is going to get better and better and better. And his offense, in truth, is very up and down. And to a certain extent, he's prisoner to the guys who have the ball more. And if they, on the one hand, you need in this offense for Edwards to score a decent amount, you need Towns to score a decent amount, which means they have to have the ball a decent amount, but you also need them to include Jaden McDaniels. Because as long as you start as offensively challenged a Scorer as Rudy is. We know what Rudy can do and you take advantage of it at the rim, putbacks, alley oops, but that's basically, that's the range of his offense. And you accept it because of what you get defensively. But on the other hand, he's limited. On a Friday night, you, and when, when, when McDaniels is playing as poorly offensively as he is, you got a problem if you have two players that limited offensively or giving you that little offensively, that's going to come back to bite you in the postseason. And there was an interesting quote in the piece from Finchie. Key for this last 27 games for us is his, as in McDaniel's high-level consistent play for sure, is going to have to be there. His consistency is still moving in the right direction. I hit a couple of big threes last night in the fourth quarter the question is whether you can count on that. It is my my one nagging concern about this club. As long as Rudy is on the floor, you're already you're 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 subtracting a little bit offensively. You just are. And again, you accept it because of what you get elsewhere. But if McDaniel's is going to be as meaningless as he sometimes is and was Friday night against a good opponent offensively. That's 40% of your starting lineup. That's a problem. That, in a sense, makes it harder on your big two and your point guard Conley to try to carry the uh, load entirely. And the question is whether the Wolves are asking for too much from him too soon, right? I mean, he's basically the same age as um, Anthony Edwards, if I'm not mistaken. Look up McDaniel's age, will you? He's either twenty he's twenty three, so he's a little older, but not considerably older. That's where I'm beginning to wonder too, if this is another case where, well, maybe you gotta consider other combinations late in games and and even consider sitting him. Now again, at the expense of what he can do defensively, because he's he's a, such a willing guarder, defender, and he can guard anybody. He can guard out on the perimeter. It's it's amazing to see how he can move defensively, and it's so important to what this team does, but that's the concern. Are you going to get enough out of him consistently enough offensively to where you can live with having another non-offensive player on the court in the playoffs?
2: On the Fan.
1: Final um, segment of today's vi- uh, edition of Sunday Sermons. We will be here until 11 o'clock today. Worst case scenario, is that what's on at 11? 11 until Correct. You're, you're cut sh- slightly short, 1245? Yeah,
2: a little, little truncated, 1245.
1: Because you got some uh, college basketball to get to. Gopher men later are uh, at Nebraska. The women lost last night, yesterday, or uh, I don't know if it was a day or night game. Um, I want to say, will you double check the time? I think that's, that's on the fan beginning. I want to say it's like a 5 o'clock start, go for men. Against Nebraska, but you can double-check that, and I'm assuming it'll be on the flagship today because we don't have any uh, football to worry about at uh, at this point.
2: Pre-game at 5, I tip at 5.30. 5.30, okay. At the uh, Cornhuskers.
1: That's there, exactly right. It's a tough place to play. It'd be a great... We were talking about how they're going to have to steal some games against what they call in the business quad one wins, or get some quad one wins. Uh, I'm told that would be a quad one win. So, um, you know, keep that in mind, and uh, we'll see if uh, they can get something done. It would be very helpful to the Gophers' situation. Uh, text, this is Dean from Hermantown. Dan, when you mentioned you had a concern on the Wolves, I knew immediately you were going to say about McDaniels. I actually had been concerned about his in-and-out offense for a while. Love his defense. Don't like the in-and-out offense. Uh, 218, texter, think you missed Johnny's point on McDaniels. If he gets close to 10, it means they have good offensive flow was the point. No, I didn't miss. I, I got that point very clear. The issue is it, it it it's the old chicken or egg situation. Some of what dictates McDaniel's effectiveness is the flow, but some of what dictates his effectiveness is how effective he's playing and what he is, how consistent he is being. He tends to lose interest sometimes. And He has to understand that given his place in the pecking order, he can't pout as if he's immediately not in the flow. He's got to continue to try to make his way, make himself available in the flow in a way that encourages the other players to continue to keep him in. It works both, it cuts both ways. But beyond that, it's more on a larger scale, to me... To, we may be expecting too much from him too soon if he is as critical as a head coach says i just don't see i don't in his offensive game i'm not sure i see as much as they do sometimes when i say at times he can do some good things you you got to you got ha- to be able to do them more uh, consistently and i i don't see that so no i got the point completely the the we know things are going really well when he gets to 10 to 12. Yes, yes, we get that. It doesn't happen often enough. And we are we saw it, the impact that was going to have, for example, in a game like a game against the Milwaukee Bucks. And I'll go back to the entire plan, I think, has always been a bit risky offensively. Look, look at our ratings offensively are still not very good. They're not. And they have, the, the objective was, all right, we know we're never going to be as good as our defensive rankings, but let's see if we can get closer to the top ten. And I haven't looked lately. I'll ask Johnny tomorrow, but I think we're still in the low teens, last I had checked. So, um, and, and why is that? Well, it's because you already have one limited offensive player in Rudy uh, who is more about defense. Can you live with having two limited offensive players? Now, McDaniels can do more things obviously, than Rudy offensively. But is he doing them consistently enough where you 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 assume that down the stretch of games, when you get back to crunch time, he's going to be one of your guys? Um, we have to see, I think, more development. I'm, I'm not as convinced about the long-term commitment here. Um, I'm more nervous. That's not me saying cut the cord, trade him, get rid of him but that's i think a nagging concern that you when you see it rear its head it's a little bit um problematic that's basically the uh, situation we're all aware that um they're tough to beat when you've got edwards and town's going and obviously a decent amount of offense from uh the point guard and you get something from McDaniels, then yeah, you're you're going to win most games. The question is, is he shown he's good enough yet to to expect that much of him? I think that's a fair part of the uh, conversation. Um, here's a couple of. Uh, uh, <laughs> I got a text here from uh, Andy Kotz, formerly guitarist with the Ronnie Low band. You you would watch us at Cafe Lux back in the early 2000s. I have an offer for you. Basically, I think the offer. Is uh, hold on, let me see. These texts are coming in a little too fast for me. Uh, My music for your programming. He apparently has heard a little bit about uh, some of the changes we're making from a bumper music standpoint. See, that's a good question. I don't even know if he, if that matters the way we're uh, what we've been told regarding licensing issues. Can can somebody just say, well, no, it's okay to use my music because I like the promotion that I might get out of it. Uh, It's a very, very good question. It's good to hear a a voice, a name from the past as well. Um, What else do we need here? Let's get to a couple more texts. I got some hockey ones. I got some basketball ones. We haven't really talked uh, much Vikings, and uh, we got the Combine coming up this week. I I did get a question early from somebody wanting to know um, whether our our, – Marty Wester III will join us this week. Marty, our official draft expert, has tended in recent years to prefer to only be with us the week of the draft itself. There was a time when he did appear with us on Combine Week. We can check with him, but my guess is we're not going to be able to get him. I wish we could. It would be fun. Um, But I think it's unlikely. Bob from Roseville. I'm enjoying the Wilds games recently. agree can't buy in to any sense, the team will go beyond get beyond the first round of the foreseeable future if they make the playoffs down enough depth and they always get uh, muscled out. Um, Jack's entirely correct. Wild team is good enough to make the playoffs won't go around beyond the first round. It appears that the team has made a decision to keep Flurry's playoff streak alive to go along with the other memorable events of the season for uh for Flower. So, Russo had a story a while ago, within this last week or two, uh, quoting Garen. In fact, Garen was from when he was on, when he hosted sermons a week ago, I think, when, when Garen was on with Russo. And that Garen basically said, it's going to be up to flower regarding trade possibilities. Now, does that remain the same? Did Russo ask him, so you're going to be agreeable to trading flour, even if you guys are in a position... To make the playoffs? Did it get that specific? Do you remember?
2: I don't know if it got that specific, but I know that that was the conclusion of it was Flurry's kind of calm. He's earned that to where if he wants another run, wow. then then he can do that. And I don't I don't really blame Billy either for thinking that no, way. No, but I would say it
1: becomes more I think it's it's easier to accept when you're five, six, seven points out than when you're two points out and playing better where you go, oh, wait a minute, if you're so even if there's no we got no shot at the, you know, reaching the end of the rainbow. We're in it now. You, we're we're in it enough now. Now you're gonna trade away one of the goaltenders. I don't know. I think that that would actually become a little bit more controversial at uh, at that point. Um, regarding the wolves in the national media, two and eight guy writes. I usually roll my eyes at those of us who cry big crocodile tears at the lack of respect from Minnesota professional franchises. And I understand the lack of equity the team has, but it is remarkable in how seemingly disdainful the hosts on the various NBA series, radio shows, are of a squad that has been at the top of the conference for the entirety of the season. I don't, you know, I guess, I don't know who he's listening to. I don't think there there's that much disdain. I think, as I've said before, no matter what their position is, which is very good, you're in first place, you're in first place in a conference. Um... So your ups and downs have been better than anybody else's ups and downs. That's what that said. other than really Boston's running away with the entire league and the other side of the of the standings. But I think it's just the natural order of things when you don't have, once again, what are we talking about, lack of playoff success, that there's always going to be the open question. But nationally, I think a lot of people say, well, you got to take them seriously, even though they don't have a lot of playoff equity because of the position that they're in and, It seems like they are making it work with this grand experiment with Rudy and Kat to this point. But you're never going to get everybody on your side. And you're always going to have a certain measure of skepticism um, until you make some playoff runs. That's just the way it is. And I I don't think that's a conspiracy against us um, in any way, shape, or form. I think that's some of it. Now, if... There are times when I hear people nationally who just, who obviously haven't watched them and don't even have an idea what they do well and what their issues are, and they just make certain assumptions there. That happens from, from time to time. But it is uncanny, once again, how, regardless of the sport we're talking about, we feel like we, we are all, even though, you know, the Wolves, the Wild, the Vikings, and Twins are all different entities with different strengths and weaknesses, and they're at different places in their team continuum, but, What they do seem to share is what we said, that we're so desperate regarding those big four. We're so desperate that we would celebrate mightily getting to, well, in some cases, the second round, but certainly the third, right? It'd be like, my God, there's a third round in the playoffs, regardless of the sport? We didn't even know that that existed. And that's sort of where we're at right now. Leaving aside the uh you know the possibility of actually making a championship run, we just don't have much um wolves we it's well established they've gotten out of the first round once in their history wild have done it a little bit more often, but they only the wild have only reached the uh conference finals once right, and that was very early under lemare uh, we know about the twins how long it's been for them, and the Vikings, yeah, I mean we have more recently gotten to. Uh, NFC title round, but um, that was what the the last time we did it was the uh, the Keenum year, right? We got to the, to the title round, and then we got trounced by the Philadelphia Eagles as well. Um, Paul in Tennessee, I turned off the Wild, became a Timberwolves fan like I never have before, and now that's the Wild. Uh, this uh, this is not. I don't know if this was a dictated uh, text or not. I'm afraid I'm going to get my heart broken by two teams instead of just one this season. So he's saying that um, it's the lament of the Minnesota sports fan that the more I get reeled in, uh, the harder I know it's going to be because I'm going to assume it's always going to end badly, right? And I get that to a certain extent, although a lot of uh, cities and teams can say pretty much the, uh, the same thing. At some point... I don't think you can allow that to get in the way of your enjoyment of what's taking place, because on that basis, you're not going to be able by the time you you know glom onto it, it's going to be too late to have really invested. I I'm a big believer. I not I don't know that everybody agrees with me on this. I don't know how you feel philosophically. I've never bought the notion that you can wait to invest emotionally at the very last minute in a team's run and enjoy it. I don't buy it. I think you're lying to yourself. I think to a certain extent, if you haven't invested emotionally all along the way, and that means accepting the possibilities you're going to get your heart shattered, I don't believe you can fully appreciate it when it goes, when it ends well, when you end up winning a championship. How do you feel about that? I mean, I get. It. I think, you know, the old cliche is
2: only one team ends the season happy. You know, everyone's sad except for one team. Right. And when you kind of put that into perspective, I think it's easier to take the the heartbreak and the. I, I guess if you're if you're fully invested and it and it does hit one of those days, I, and I think we all are invested in in the four teams here, but it's just it still will mean a lot when it. When and if it finally hits for, for any one of the four squads here. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you, if you having that skepticism takes away from that. I, guess I think
1: skepticism I get. But I yeah. think if you literally are not paying attention to a team going into the playoffs because you're going to get your heart broken and you suddenly know, hey, they're in the conference finals. I I think you're lying to yourself if you think you're going to enjoy it as much as whether as when you've stayed in, invested in it and interested in it to to a degree along the way i mean I, as i get older you know regarding the allegiances i grew up with when i was a kid they're nowhere near as deep as they once were that has to do with i'm just in a different place but i i do think if i look back on that that historically, the Cubs are the best example. You know, they they finally win the whole thing in sixteen. Um part of what made it, I think, truly mythic for a lot of fans of that team then was they did stay with it to a certain extent. When that meant, you know, you have endured gut-wrenching collapses and ineptitude that go back obviously decade after decade after decade, and that if you Suffer through that and still maintain some connection with it. That when you get the reversal, it does mean more if you had shut down completely and not paid attention to it. I, because if I look back on any team, and you could, I think you could say the same thing about the 87 and 91 twins, for example. Part of the enjoyment, I think, for some fans, certainly was for me, when, like I said, the Cubs broke through. Was watching other older fans. Just, I mean, brought. I mean, they're 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 beside themselves with how emotional it is for them. That was a lot of the. it wasn't the players celebrating so much. It was watching other fans, or you know, hearing stories about how, you know, my old man was a big. Oh, there was a famous story in this case, guys. Uh, you know, he'd watched. The, 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 and listen to the Cubs forever. They'd suffered together. His father dies. They get to the clinching game against Cleveland. And the son, now, of course, an adult, drives to where his father is buried, somewhere in Indiana, I think it was, and turns on the radio and listens to the last game, the clinching game, as it turns out, at his dad's gravesite. I mean, that stuff. I mean, so that goes back to, I think, investment. There's greater, when there's that kind of level of investment in what you're doing, that really is more about family, you could say, than it is the team. Then to me, I think it ends up meaning more to it. That's not the same thing as saying, well, you're a disloyal fan if you don't go, or if you are critical of what that team is doing. I don't think anybody would suggest I'm ever hesitant about being uh,
2: critical. Well if, you have, well, if you have that level of investment in your squad, and then they cut payroll...
1: I would understand being a little upset about that. 100%. Well, that's how I say being upset is still being invested. That's the great irony of this whole thing. The curse for teams is what? I don't care. You cut payroll, and I couldn't care less. I'm just, I'm bored with it. I'm yawning. I'm not. I mean, as the cliche goes, apathy is the great enemy of any franchise. It's not anger. Anger would still suggest. You care enough to get angry. If you're apathetic, then it doesn't even stick to you anymore, and that's the place that you do not want to uh, to get to. Vikings have not won two playoff games in one postseason since 87. Every other NFC championship run since then, we've had the first round by and only won the division game. That's a good stat. That's true. I mean, we've gotten as far as we did in 87, but... We had uh, we had did not that was a year we had to win two playoff games we were upset uh, specialists specialists in New Orleans and then uh, San Francisco as well. Uh, ben writes twenty nine of thirty teams are going to be heartbroken or at least ten to sixteen of them in the playoffs who think they have a shot. That is sports. Although the past two seasons I was happy with the Wolves for what they had and what they did I wasn't heartbroken. If we go to the Western Finals or Finals I'd probably be happy but maybe heartbroken. If we're in one of the finals in Game 7 and lose by possession. I'll, I'll, I will I'll say this despite my negativity. If the, the Wolves get to the conference finals and lose, it will be a highly successful season. If they lose in the first round, even if they're playing a team that's got some pedigree that might be dangerous, um, it's going to be rough. It's going to be very difficult for people. This is what happens. You get to first place in a conference there's going to be a a greater expectation i don't believe that you have to get to the finals i think if if the minnesota wild get in and win a a single round people would hold a parade right that's the irony there i mean we're we're our expectations have been you know worn down over a period of uh, decades so i think that's the way we look at it now what's coming up next in the fan Worst case scenario,
2: for an hour and 45 minutes, myself, Max, Robbie, we're all here. Outstanding.
1: Um, Looking forward to it. Have fun with that. And then a lot of college basketball in the fan, including the Gophers, uh, at uh, pregame at 5, Gophers, Nebraska, 530. I am back, I think, with Garzy tomorrow. Johnny Athletic among our guests on uh, Bumper to Bumper, beginning at 3 o'clock. Have a great weekend.